so we're, we're going to uh, uh, keep going with uh, the, the book uh, called Exodus. Um, and uh, the idea here is I, I've, I've selected, this is actually, well, that's the King James Bible there, but that's a, that's a line from oh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, I believe. But it's a big part of the book's point. If I were to like show a, like a, an outline of the material as it sits in the book of Exodus, you'd notice that almost half of the book is about this tent in the wilderness. Um, no other thing gets as much attention in Exodus than this tent. And if you've tried to read Exodus, you probably fast forwarded through because it's like men, dimensions and measurements and materials used for this elaborate desert tent. Um, but it's a big part of the point. Um, and it's a part of the point of the rest of what we call the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the, nec- the next uh, three books after that follow on this idea of the tent. And in fact, the tent is kind of the theme of the entire Bible because it, it's, its point is that God wants to take up residence among his people. The holy God wants to sit in the center of the camp of his people to be worshipped. That's, that's exactly the vision at the end of the Bible. Um, it's how the the New Testament authors speak about Jesus and the gospel. But they're getting all of that not from thin air. It comes from something that's uh, been a part of the, the, the worldview for a long time. And Exodus is a big part of why. Um, so last week, um, we talked about God's name. Moses, this man Moses, is um, uh, he is kind of on on the run, so to speak. Not really, but <clears throat> he had been on the run, made a comfortable life as a shepherd, and he's out deep in the woods, and he encounters um, the God, as the text says. Um, and it turns out to be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who, as it turns out, is the God of all creation. And he's summoned by this God to... He's summoned by him and he's told, I am your God, the God of your fathers, the God of your people, and I'm sending you to the king, the oppressive regime in Egypt. And I want you to go, uh, today the phrase is, speak truth to power. But as we're going to find out today, Moses is summoned to do much more than just tell the truth to the emperor in Egypt. Um, And so, uh, but, but, we learned that God's name has a deep, deep meaning, which will kind of resonate and rattle around within the hearts and minds of the people of God for forever and ever. Uh, whatever God's name uh, means has to do with who he is. And he says, here's what my name means. I am. <laughs> I am. I am the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. That's what my name means. God's name is still going to be our focus today. And I've given the, the title for our, our uh, chapter today, Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? That is the name, the God of Israel. Uh, now, today is a specially troubling part of the Bible, I think. And as modern readers, it really uh, is borderline offensive 
And a lot of questions come up, um, what we're going to read today, uh, because it has to do with violence, and it has to do with divine violence, the violence of the biblical God. Um, and and there's, this, uh, there's this picture of God. Um, the text, we read it last week, God comes down. Now, this is a phrase that's shown up a couple times already in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. There's a story about people building this tower. They want to make a great name for themselves. God says, I'm the one that makes names. You don't make names for yourself. So he says, let us go down and see what's happening there. And he confuses their language. A little later, he learns about just violent, oppressive behavior in in a couple of towns east, Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, I have come down because I have heard the outcry. I've come down. And we learn here in Exodus, we we saw a couple weeks ago about how this, this Pharaoh and his regime is treating the immigrants and how he's, it's genocidal and it's, it's danger around every corner if you're an Israelite living in Egypt and you have no choice to live there because you're captive. And here we see God says again, I have come down. I have come down. Now, does that mean God is up in the sky? I don't think that's the point. This, this image of coming down is an image of judgment. God coming to bring judgment. And this is really interesting. What we're going to see today does not grow out of God's wrath. Now that, that's, that's a thing, too. God does get angry, actually, in Exodus chapter 4, but he gets angry at Moses. He says that his wrath is kindled because Moses keeps, like, Heisman trophying the Lord. God keeps calling Moses to do something terrifying, and Moses keeps coming up with excuses, and that seems to get God angry. But what's happening now is not because of anger. It's not just pure emotion. It's not just, well, I've had enough, and I'm going to clobber somebody's got to pay. That's not the portrait of God. But what we see today is how the rest of the Bible thinks about God. This is your introduction to Yahweh. This is how you know who Yahweh is, what his name means, what he is like. It's this part of Exodus today. But we see, we see this God accommodate. He has decided to be in a covenant relationship with a people. And those people are not perfect people. And I I thank God for that. Because sometimes I imagine that we think as the church that it's our perfection in keeping all of the rules which will draw the nations. It's not in fact what's on display at all in God's people. First and foremost, it's the faithfulness of God. He decides to be in a covenant relationship with these people. Now you have Psalms where in moments of, of being disciplined by their God, they cry out, where have you gone? You've dropped the ball. But the image is always, and they come around to realize that people in a covenant relationship with God often do one of these where we turn away. We step aside, we go over here, we involve ourselves. The, the image is like uh, adultery, prostitution. We, we prostitute ourselves to different gods. We, we divorce the God we're in covenant with. But the image of this God is that he does not budge. He's right there. He doesn't move. 
And he's always, because he has committed himself to this people, his reputation is on the line. And so we see him getting involved with people in ways that are a stooping down for him. You see what I'm saying? Is God a violent God? No. He's bursting with mercy. But based on what's happening in this story, this Pharaoh and this kingdom, we find God, because of his commitment to people, coming down into the system that people are living in to bring not wrath or to execute his anger, but as a judgment to bring righteousness and justice and stability. But God gets involved because he's promised to get involved. Now that should encourage you. This is the portrait of God in Scripture. Uh, But Moses finally agrees to go speak to this king. He goes home to his wife and kids in Midian, and he says, i got to go back home. You should read it yourself. If you haven't read this, you should read it. I can't you know, get into all the details. Um, but, but we learn, um, uh, as he's preparing to go to Egypt, God says this to him. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see all of the signs that I've put in your hand, you are to do before Pharaoh. But look, he says, but I will make his heart strong-willed so that he will not let the people go. He will not. You, you know the phrase blank mission? Has that made its way to California? Like, like where I'm from is where the trends are set. It makes its way out here, not the reverse. Uh, but um, uh, blank mission is like you're sent to do something that can't possibly work. Uh, this is a blank mission, <laughs> Like, go speak truth to Pharaoh, but I'm going to make sure he doesn't listen to you. Uh, Wait a second. I thought the goal was to set the people free from this oppression. But now you're going to get in the way of the very thing you've asked me to go do. So apparently, as we're going to find, the goal at first and foremost here isn't to get them out. That's not what God's interested in right now. Right now... What he's focused on is this king in Egypt who thinks and has been told and is believed to be God. Because the Pharaoh, of course, that's one thing unique about Egypt is the king is a God. At the end of what what we won't read it today, but next week, we learn that what God is about to do, he's fighting against the gods of Egypt, of which Pharaoh considers himself one, the chief uh, God, maybe. But Moses is is called to go back to Egypt. God says, I'm sending your brother Aaron to help you. I'm sending the elders of the community. They're going to meet you. You all go up to the king, confront him, and I'll make sure he doesn't listen. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Then Moses goes in, and he approaches the king, and he says effectively, like, just the messenger here, But I ran into the God, uh, Yahweh, and he says, stop this right now. Send these people free. Cut them loose, all their stuff. Let them go out into the wilderness to worship me. That's what he says. And here's what the Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should hearken to his voice 
to send Israel free. I do not know Yahweh, Yahweh, I suppose Yahweh. Uh, more, moreover, Israel, I will not send free. Okay, well, now we have a story brewing. This Pharaoh, who has been set up as a kind of anti-creator, all that God wants to do in this world, this, this human being thinks he runs the show in God's good world. He is God. He is the God of the most powerful empire on planet Earth. So he is not in the habit of listening. That's, that's, he has the free will to listen, but he's not in the habit of listening. People drunk with power, tyrants, tend to not listen. What we're going to find out is what God is doing is not hindering this Pharaoh or creating a situation where he won't listen, but God is accelerating something that's already the reality. This Pharaoh is not interested in the immigrant's God. So he says, I don't know Yahweh. That has nothing to do with Egypt. Y'all are lazy and you just want, you don't want to work and you don't care about your country. And so I don't know your God. I don't care about your God and I am not cutting you. Get out of here. Get out of here. Right? To which the next chapters will be, you don't know Yahweh. Huh? Well, let me introduce you. (laughs) Let me introduce you to our God, Yahweh. Now, this is the central storyline for what we're going to read. This king does not know who God is. We learn that he is. He is. And this king must learn. And Israel must learn who this God is. So this is the thread, which is really the the whole thing here that we're going to follow this morning. Now, this is like six chapters. I'm not going to try to cover all of it, but I'm, we're just going to follow this. Remember this. This Pharaoh says, I do. Who is the Lord? And he's not saying like, study the Bible with me. Who's the Lord? I want to know him. He's saying, who's the Lord? What does that ha- what's that got to do with me? I'm the king of Egypt. I don't care about your God. This is what the next several chapters are all about. But he sends them back, get out of here, and he actually increases their workload. And Moses goes back to to Yahweh, and he says, well, that didn't work. He says, well, yeah, I told you it wouldn't work. Like, I'm going to harden his heart. Well, he's made it worse. The Israelites say to Moses and Aaron, say, you made us stink in Pharaoh's eyes, which doesn't make sense. You don't smell with your eyes. But he says, you've made us stink in Pharaoh's eyes. Like, you made us... You drew attention to us. We don't want that attention. Now he's made it harder. It's harder to work now. You've made it worse for us. Thanks for your vision of freedom, Moshe and Aharon. Thank you for helping us out. You've made it worse. Moses goes before God and says, this is ridiculous. This isn't working. He says, remember those signs I told you to perform in front of the king? Go do that. Take your staff in your hand. Take your brother. Go back again. So Moses goes back to... The, the, the king. Before he goes, he says, says he, this is what Moses is to say to the people. I will take you for me as a people. And I will be for you as a God. 
and you shall know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God, who brings you out from beneath the burdens of Egypt. Remember the question, who's the Lord? God tells Moses, I want you to tell the Israelites, you are going to know who I am. My goal is that you know who I am. And by you knowing who I am, the whole world would know who I am. So Moses goes goes back. Uh, let's see. Oh, one more. He, he says it again. God says this to Moses. I, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will make my signs and my portents many in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, so I will set my hand against Egypt, and I will bring out my forces, my people, the children of Israel, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring the children of Israel out from their midst. God is seeking here, not first and foremost to get the people out of Egypt, but to make his name known so that everybody knows who Yahweh is. So he is, I'm not going to put that up there yet. Uh, then I won't have your attention. Um, But he's sent back in. And he's sent to do these signs before the king. Now we call these the plagues, the the 11 plagues of, of, of Egypt. Have you heard this? Can anyone name some of them? What are some of the plagues that come on Egypt? Locusts, yeah. Frogs, yeah. You've seen Charlton Heston movie, like you know what happens. You've seen the Prince of Egypt. Uh, this is actually a very carefully uh, structured couple of chapters. These, it's very literary how these plagues are described. But they're not, in fact, plagues. Plagues is not the right word. Plague is like a disease of some kind, right? But they're, they're called like blows, like strikes, like like blows. Like the Lord is going to going to hit Egypt nine times. Uh, well, 11 times. Ten times, really. Uh, ten times. But it starts with Moses going before the king, telling them to let him go again. And when the king doesn't listen, he throws down his staff. And the staff in Moses' hand becomes a, uh, so the Hebrew word here is tanin, or serpent. But it's not just like your regular old run-of-the-mill snake. The word tanin are those great sea creatures that God created on the fifth day in Genesis chapter 1. Or this like mythical embodiment of chaos, like picture this deep, what's the, What's those movies like Mega Shark or whatever? Like, what is it? Megalodon? Yeah, yeah, Megalodon. Something like that. Like something that has the ability to stir up with its fins chaos in creation. Chaos monsters. That's what Tanin means often. Moses throws this staff down and it turns into a Tanin. And Moses reaches out and grabs the Tanin. And it's this image of a human being having power over these massive 
like massively dangerous, at least, forces in creation. Now, the Pharaoh sees Moses do this magic trick, and he has a court of magicians, so he calls them out. And they take their staff and they throw it down and they produce little snakes too. But here's what's interesting. As they're watching the staves turned into tanin, Moses' tanin, his serpent, swallows up the other two serpents. And that's a, that's a foretaste because Egypt is going to be swallowed up. Egyptian army is going to be swallowed up by water. Moses is laying down like, here's what's going to happen if you do not cooperate. Like, this is a sign to you. He drops the stick, turns into a serpent, swallows up the magicians. But see, Pharaoh, see, see, my magicians can do that too, so your God ain't all that great. Get out of here. You're not going anywhere. Okay. Now, these, these plagues, we're not going to look at all of these. Uh, but God sends Moses back, and he says, Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Here I will strike with the staff that is in my hand upon the water that is in the Nile, and it will change into blood. So... One episode, he goes with the snake or the staff. It turns into a snake. He comes back later. He says, let the kids of Israel go. Or I am going to turn the Nile River into blood so that you may know who Yahweh is. Now, this is, this is an annoying plague at least, right? Imagine going to your faucet and blood pours out. But this is an image of God coming into Egypt and striking the Nile, which is the lifeblood for Egypt. It's how Egypt has an agriculture. It's how Egypt survives. God, through Moses, turns the river into blood. You can imagine it stinking. The fish are dying. The source of life which runs through Egypt has become a source of death. In any way they, they turn for water, even if they dig into the ground, all they find is blood. Now, what's the image here? I own this. <laughs> you think you run the world, little king? Like, I can turn your life source into blood. And it's an appropriate image, isn't it? Again, giving us a taste of the future. What did Pharaoh do with water? Well, he drowned the Israelite children in it, filling it with blood. So God turns their life source into blood. And their waters will be bloodied again later. He says, you've set yourself up against the greatest king there could ever be. God, Yahweh, is the one who controls creation. What we're starting to see is something that's amazing. I think this is amazing. Here is this creator who's coming behind Yahweh and trying to undo everything he's up to. And so what this creator does, Yahweh, is he unleashes that creation against him. This is like the first act here with this blood in the water of God is undoing creation. The structures that hold creation stable, Yahweh is removing it. 
in unleashing creation against this anti-creator. We'll speed through these quick, but you'll see how this works out. The very last thing we're going to look at today is uh, the Lord turns the land of Egypt dark. It says, Yehi Choshek, Yehi Choshek, which is let it be dark. Does that sound like anything? Genesis chapter 1, when it was dark, God says, Yehi Or, let it be light. God is turning the lights out, removing the structures that keep creation stable. And it doesn't stop with the blood. That's just step step one. He strikes he strikes the water. How you doing? Okay, next. Pharaoh doesn't listen. Oh, by the way, the magicians come and they also turn the water into blood again. Pharaoh's like, My magicians can turn water into blood too. I don't know where they got the water, but they turned it into blood, and Pharaoh's like, see? Cool trick, Moses, but no thanks. But here's what's interesting. Every time Pharaoh calls the, the magicians to do what Moses just did, they don't actually help. They just make it worse. <laughs> more snakes, more blood. So Pharaoh's heart is hard again. I'm not listening. Nice trick, Moses. Well, next, uh, Moses is told to go confront um, the Pharaoh. He says, let him go, or I am going to Fill your land with frog horde. (laughs) Uh, Fill your whole environment with frogs, which sounds at least annoying, right? A frog is an image in Egypt of fertility and, and life. What God does is the things which keep frogs in the water, yeah, the Lord removes those so that the frogs come out onto the land and they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. He says it's going to fill your ovens. It's going to be in your bed. It's going to be in your tub. It's going to be in your drawers. It's going to be in your cars. Everywhere you look, there are, there's going to be toads sitting there. Well, not toads, I guess, uh, frogs sitting there waiting for you. Uh, really interesting. One line in here in Hebrew, it's... it's uh, Toad in the singular, and some rabbis have imagined it's not toads or frogs, but one big massive frog, which isn't a frog. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but, but frogs will fill, like the stability in creation is being messed with. God is undoing the, the things which keep the world in its normal functioning form. God is tweaking that. And Pharaoh has enough of the frogs. He, he, he softens up a bit. Uh, Moses said to Pharaoh, uh, because Pharaoh, Pharaoh says to Moses, all right, enough with the frogs. You're right. Um, my magicians could also bring frogs like you, but uh, I've had enough. Can you please pray for us? <laughs> so he's starting to soften. Here's what Moses says to the Pharaoh. Be praised over me. For when shall I plead for your servants and for your people to cut the frogs off from you and from your houses so that only in the Nile they will remain? He said, how about tomorrow? (laughs) He said, according to your words then, in order that you may know that there is no God like Yahweh, our God. Please help us out. The frogs are too much. I'll go ask God to help you. When do you want me to... Ask him to cut off the frogs. I would have think he would have said, now. He says, how about tomorrow? <laughs> how about tomorrow? It's like, done. I'll pray for you tomorrow. Now know that it's God who's done this. Don't think your magicians did this or this is just like a natural course of events. God is doing this. 
don't change your mind again. Uh, but of course, he does. Um, so you're getting the picture what happens here. It's just nonstop God trying to show this king who's in charge and this king resisting. It happens over and over again. Next come insects. Uh, he, he tells them, um, he tells Moses to strike the dust from the ground. There's a line in Genesis that says, from dust you came to dust you shall return, something like that. But this is, it's also a creation thing. He says, from dust, essentially, shall come your worst nightmare. <laughs> Moses strikes the dust with his staff, and they turn into, like, I guess flies, some kind of fly, but such that flies are everywhere. You know, flies in California is bad. Have you, had, did you notice that, or just you're so used to it? It's worse than other places. I, like, have to wear long socks in the morning because they, like, land on your legs, and it's annoying. And I think this is probably, for me, the worst. This would break my spirit, the flies. I, you know, I grew up around farms. Wisconsin's mostly one big farm. But, like, farms and seeing horses and cattle. And if you ever go out in the summer and see the animals and the livestock, like, they're covered with flies. A lot of times, uh, you know, you have to put, like, like protective layers over their eyes because they're constantly trying to swat the flies away. Poor animals. Flies are a, beyond a nuisance. Imagine... Having your whole community flooded with insects so that you can't, I mean, it's annoying, it's inconvenient, but it's the Lord, Yahweh, slowly applying pressure to this arrogant king to get him to believe that the world is not yours, it is mine. And it doesn't work. Next comes livestock. Uh, He sends a disease on the livestock. And now it's starting to move from annoying to things are dying. It's like it's dialing up. Their, their livestock, are being, they didn't do anything wrong, yet they are a casualty in God confronting this arrogant anti-creator emperor. The livestock die. It does no good. Next he sends boils and blisters all over everything and everyone. And here's where, here's where we get this, this one. Uh, this one, at this point, the magicians hide. It says the magicians are like, don't bring us out anymore. We're covered in sores. We're falling apart here. The immigrant's God is taking us to our knees, your highness. Like, I think you might want to think about listening to these two Hebrew slaves because there's not much left for us if we keep opposing him. It's kind of the sentiment. We find the, the magicians no longer like trying to replicate what Moses is doing. They run to hide. But here with the boils, this is when, um, look at, look at uh, well, this is not what the, is this what the, the boils and blisters? Uh, oh, no, th- this is. This is back with, with the, uh, the flies. Look what the magicians say. This, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, of a God. But Pharaoh's heart remained strong will, and he did not hearken to them as the Lord had spoken. He says, but I will make distinct uh, Israel 
So what ends up happening is livestock are dying. People are getting blisters. It's not happening to the Israelites. He's creating a distinction. Everything in the land is being getting sick. Livestock is dying, but not for the Israelites because he's trying to show this Pharaoh, I am the Israelites God in order that you may know that I am Yahweh in the land. This is right after the boils and blisters. Indeed, this time I will send all of my blows upon your heart and against your servants and against your people so that you may know that there is none like me throughout the land. However, just on account of this, I have allowed you to withstand, to make you see my power in order that they might recount my name throughout the land. God is saying, like, I'm not interested right now in getting you out. I want people to know who I am. He asked, who's Yahweh? Why should I care about Yahweh? Yahweh's point is, I will show you who I am. And I will make sure everybody knows who's in charge. You do not get to act like this in my world. And I'm doing this so that throughout the land, Everybody will know who Yahweh is. Now, we could, we could take this as, well, God's just an angry God. No, he's going after someone who thinks he's a God. He's going after Hitler, so to speak, right? He's going after a genocidal maniac who has exerted his rule over God's creation. What the Lord is doing is making it clear. I want you to know what you're dealing with. Now, does God deal with us like this? No. <laughs> That's not the point. The point here isn't like, don't, don't fall into sin because God will ruin you. That's not the point. This is about God entering into the situation where slaves are being oppressed and confronting a ruler who refuses to acknowledge and does whatever he wants with whomever he wants in God's good creation. God, this God, will not stand by and allow it to happen. His goal is that you know. That everyone may know. You're getting the picture. It goes on and on and on. With each with each blow, but where are we at? We had boils and blisters. Okay, next comes the locust horde, which eats up all of their food supply leaves them in shambles. Uh, And then next comes the darkness. And I'm not going to go past the darkness because the final plague is like a blow is like a climax. But for these first nine blows, the Lord is trying to make himself known to someone who will not listen. How you doing? This is a lot. We're... We're covering a lot of ground. This is a challenge with doing uh, a book like Exodus in only three months. But there's a kind of heart problem here with this Pharaoh, with rulers in general. And God understands that they do not break, they do not bend. So he tries to make his own name known for the sake 
of his creation. He undoes the stability in the world to prove to this king, and not just the king, because what does he say? He wants Israel to know his name. He wants Egypt to know his name. He wants everyone in the land to know his name. Us as readers are looking in. We're getting a very clear picture of the power, awesomeness maybe, terror of the God of Israel. What's he interested in? Is he angry? No. He's interested in justice. That's a dirty word for us because of stupid people on C-SPAN and CNN and Fox News. Justice is like, has all the wrong definitions for us. Justice is a Bible word, though, and it means God's right rule. The idea of justice is to put right that which is wrong in God's world. God is very interested in correcting what is wrong in establishing what is right. And he's after this kingdom who treats the immigrant population however he wants. But he doesn't soften the Pharaoh's heart. He hardens it. He brings all the way to an end the thing that's already alive and well in this Pharaoh, which is arrogance and violence. Because he's not going to listen. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is really helpful, I think. This is from C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, what do you call it, a novel, a novella? I don't know. It's uh, The Great Divorce. Um, He says, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. (laughs) You you, You get what he's saying? There are two kinds of people in the world who pray to God and said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done, God. And there are people to whom God says, all right, fine, your will be done. We'll do what you want because you resist God. C.S. Lewis will go on to say, there's no one in hell that doesn't want to be there. No one in hell who doesn't choose to go. God allows them to get, God allows us to have what we want. That's the scary thing with free choice. But for these arrogant tyrants who refuse to, to bend to the Creator, God like hits the fast forward button. All right, fine. You want to act like that? I'll just I'll I'll use where you're at, I'll come down and I'll make a point because you're not listening. You're not listening. So I'll make a point to show you who I am. This Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? Now he knows. Well, not yet. There's two more chapters next week, which will be easier to talk through. But this is the central story for the Bible. That this God is after righteousness, justice, truth, purity. And he will not allow creation. He doesn't stand back forever. Now there comes a time down the road, many years, where God gets involved again. In a very different kind of way. Where instead of coming to fight against, say, Rome or some other nation, 
He comes as a suffering servant. And all of that violence is done to God. It's, it's hard to hold the two portraits of this biblical God in tension. Do you see what I'm saying? On the one hand, he goes after the arrogant tyrant. On the other, he comes and submits to him and dies. And this is why Christians don't want to read the Old Testament. I like the New Testament God better. He's nicer. It's the same God. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same God. It's the same testimony. In fact, New Testament makes no sense without the story of the Exodus. How God ultimately frees people from the bondage to sin is not through confronting arrogant tyrants. But what God did to that Pharaoh shows you what God is intends to do to those who hold others captive. But Jesus Christ, look at what he says in John. He says, this is right, right before he is crucified. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then with a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. See, Jesus is interested in the same thing that Yahweh was interested in Exodus, showing the world the meaning of God's name. It's not, God's name isn't one that you just treat lightly and ignore. The Pharaoh learns who Yahweh is. And we get a clear sense of the power and vengeance and mercy of this God from the story of the Exodus. But Jesus also, same thing, to show what God is like, to show what God's name means. But now look it. We have this God now acting in a way that's a lot different, but dying. So now as we take the bread and the cup, we have all of these stories that display what God is like in Scripture. But Jesus Christ is doing exactly what we found in Exodus, which is trying to get us to see. We want to say, the world wants to say, who is Jesus? Why would I listen to him? It's the same kind of answer. Well, let me introduce you. But it's a different kind of story. Do you see that? God accommodates on the one hand to confront the Pharaoh, and on the other, he comes to inhabit the world and die under the powers of the Pharaoh. It's hard to hold them together. Let's, let's pray. We'll have the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you. Um, thank you for how Scripture communicates who you are. We thank you, Father, that we can know what you're like. We thank you, God, that you are not one who allows evil and unrighteousness to go unchecked. Nor shall you still, for Scripture shows judgment against all evil, against Satan, against the powers which wage war against your creation. 
you show yourself mighty. You show yourself as one to be worshipped, listened to, obeyed, not one to be rejected or ignored. And you show yourself as merciful. Father, we, we thank you that you lead out those in bondage, that you bring out those who suffer, that your, your heart and your commitment is with us. We see it in the cross. We see in the cross your commitment to creation that we might live. Thank you for this bread, your body. Thank you for the blood. In itself, the cross is such a violent image. And Father, by it, we see resurrection. We see new hope. We see what your name is like. We see by these stories what you are and what you mean. We thank you for making it loud and clear. Please open our hearts to see, believe, and turn to you. All of this is in Christ. Amen.